The name of tonight's talk is called Walking the Samadhi Trail. Walking the Samadhi Trail. At this point in the retreat, having spent quite a few days intensely walking some of the most difficult terrain of the Samadhi Trail, we can pause and orient ourselves as though we were on a backpacking hike in the mountains and we've been in the woods up to this point so that that we really couldn't orient ourselves. We couldn't really get a point of view because there were woods all around us. But now we've come out of the woods temporarily and the trail leads back in the woods and out and back in over and over again. But at this point we can pause and look around. So we walk out to this little overhang where there's rocks in which we can see both down the trail we've come and we can look up and see and it's kind of clear the trail that we've come through. We can see how it cuts through the woods and so forth and somewhat clear in terms of the trail ahead of us. This is a a poem by W.B. Yeats. My 50th year had come and gone. I sat, a solitary man, in a crowded London shop, an open book and empty cup on the marble tabletop. While on the shop and street I gazed, my body of a sudden blazed. And twenty minutes, more or less, it seemed so great my happiness that I was blessed and could bless. My fiftieth year had come and gone. I sat a solitary man in a crowded London shop, an open book and empty cup on the marble tabletop. While on the shop and street I gazed, my body of a sudden blazed. In twenty minutes, more or less, it seemed so great my happiness that I was blessed and could bless. Now, truthfully, isn't this what you've all been looking for, this whole point when you've been in the woods? It happens in various forms, in various ways, to various people at various times, and not to others. Not to others at all. One of the most respected uh, meditation teachers that I've ever studied with, it's not been his experience. His experience was different than that. So being careful about what we imagine comes at the end of the Samadhi Trail or even along the way. Just being careful of that. When T.S. Eliot was a freshman at Harvard, he was walking down the street in Cambridge one day. This happened to him. So it can happen in and out of meditation. What we're doing is collecting and unifying the mind moving towards as deep an experience as is available to us in any given moment in order to have access to what is available in the way of insight at that level of concentration when we can turn that level of concentration into Vipassana. That's what we're doing. We're happy to have any kind of of blessing like this that occurs to us. 
But our point is liberation. Our point is liberation. To stop causing suffering to ourselves and others in this moment and ultimately as a way of being so that we're no longer the cause of suffering. The seeds of greed, hatred, and delusion uprooted, uprooted. So that perspective is an important one as we start to look at the trail, the Samadhi trail. When we look back down it, we can see that we needed certain walking sticks because it was a steep trail and there's lots of loose gravel and all of this that we needed a couple of walking sticks to keep us on the trail to help us with directed attention. To help us with directed attention. First night we talked about the importance of learning to direct attention. You've practiced this over and over again without ever necessarily being aware that, oh, I'm doing this directed attention that the teachers have been talking about. I'm really doing this. You know, it's going well or not going well, but nonetheless, I'm practicing it over and over again. I'm really doing the practice. So easy to miss that. So what are those walking sticks? This ability to aim, the vataka, and the ability to sustain the connection. If we can't do that, then it's very hard to stay with the breath, right? If we don't find the breath in the first place, if we don't have this directed attention towards the breath, which again takes a certain kind of energy and a certain amount of energy, which various people have talked about and requires uh, more effort than the sustained attention, but each requires a certain amount of energy and it can fluctuate by day and so forth and by who we are. But these are our walking sticks. And we've discovered that the skillful pace on this kind of a trail that has a lot of steepness to it, a lot of twisting, it goes down and back up and there's all of these cutbacks and so forth, that it's very important that we learn how to relax because it's, we can stumble too easily if we don't have relaxed attention. So, oh, how to wisely walk this trail. Just relax on it. That keeps us alert. And if we have to cross a log or something, if we get nervous crossing that log, splash. <laughs> so that, that relaxed attention is a skillful way of walking. And equally, in, this, in terms of this skillful pace of walking and style of walking, is a resting kind of attention, a, rel- uh, a kind of attention that can soften so that we're soft-eyed. We're not so focused that we, we're looking at the trail and there's a branch and it pops us in the head. It's happened to me once. I used to be a mountain trail runner and I, I didn't wear hats. And this one day I wore a hat and I was totally unaccustomed to wearing a hat running these, all these trails on Mount Tam. And I was quite dedicated and ran reasonably fast. And here I am running along, but with, now I've got a limitation to, you know, I'm more narrow in my vision. Splat. <laughs> learned that. Learned that it's not best for me at this point in my life to be wearing a hat on a mountain trail running. And so we learn in that same way because we, we knock into things. Oh, Soft, soft into. So st- instead of pushing it, trying to get to this or that or pulling this way or grasping hold of this to hold on to it, just rest into whatever this experience is right now. Utilizing our intention to be present. Remembering our motivation. Just resting here each step. 
This is how we walk. This is the skillful walking for the Samadhi Trail. And as we look back down the trail and we see the challenges of this particular trail, we see that we did need a clear motivation to keep going. Because it would have been very easy to turn back, pack up the bags and go home, tune out, go for big long walks in the woods and never come in here, just tune out. So it, it turns out that we, we needed and we found, however modestly and however dubiously, we found our motivation. You would not be sitting in this room this moment did you not find your motivation. So since you're here, you can trust that this is true. <laughs> and it's so easy to get lost that we need the intention to remember, oh no, we're on a trail. We're not just wandering around somewhere. We're not getting distracted by, oh, there's a little waterfall. Oh, you know, look at that. Oh no, we're walking a trail because it's, we're going somewhere with this. There is, there is an aspiration. There's an aspiration. There's a motivation. And so that intention is needed moment to moment to get us back to the trail when we get lost and to keep us on the trail. And to get back to the trail, we realize that we have to start over. Oh, I'm lost. I have to start over. And something that we maybe don't emphasize enough, when you're lost on the trail, you have to start where you are. You can't say, oh, I want to take the next step on the trail. We're not on the trail. We have to get back to the trail. So we have to start where we are. So if where we are is grumpy, sleepy, complaining about this, or really excited about it, or so excited we're sort of uh, imagining how we're going to tell our friend or our significant other about this great thing that happened to us, we're off the trail. Oh, got to start here. Got to start here of this excited person, this grumpy person, this confused person, this disappointed person. He, she is the one that takes the step to get back on the trail. And we see that like with all hikes, whether it's a thousand miles or 10,000 miles, whether it's walking across the U.S. or walking across Spain, it's one step at a time. Sitting here on this overlook on the rocks, we have to admit to ourselves, it was just this moment and this moment in this moment. All of our big ideas and even our stories tend to distort that, tend to hide that from us. We think, oh, well, there was this part and that part, but there wasn't really any one moment when all that part was there. There's no one moment when all your sit was there. Each sit was just this moment and just this moment and just this moment. That's an important thing to know. Because that's an orientation that will stand us in good stead. Oh, I don't have to do the whole thing. I just have to do this inhale, this exhale. And we already know it. If we will but pause a moment and allow ourselves to know it. You could say in one sense to catch up with ourselves or to catch up with our experience or to harvest the wisdom from the crops that we have sown in doing this practice all of these different ways of imagining it, tasting it, seeing it, hearing it for ourselves. That, oh yes, these things I, I can see now as I pause during this hour and look at this. We also realize 
that if we, if we try too hard, we push too hard, we get tired and we make less progress and we enjoy the journey less. We forget that part of the great hike is the hike itself, each moment of the hike. And therefore we've learned to cultivate an appreciative mind, a gratitude mind that allows us to enjoy each step. This may be the hardest thing to learn, this contented mind, this happy mind, because that happy mind is not contingent on the conditions, as we'll see a little later. But it certainly helps when the conditions are good, doesn't it? When you've had a good sit, oh yeah, happy mind's easy. But now to cultivate this, this intention, this including this moving towards the happy mind in this very step, regardless of conditions, we've learned this because it sustains the journey. And a big hike, a really long hike, you really need to cultivate the things that sustain you on your journey. It's so much about attitude, any long hike. I don't know how long a hike you've taken in your life, but any kind of a long hike, you know, five miles, eight miles, ten miles, a hundred miles, what sustains us? Because it is a journey. So here we are. We're sitting here on the, our rocks and uh, we're, we're sipping out of our water bottles at this point now and having a little bit of uh, some sort of a protein bar. And we can acknowledge certain things. We sit here and go, we're sort of chatting back and forth with each other and we can acknowledge certain things. We can acknowledge skills that we have gained and certain understandings we have gained. But only if we choose to. It's so easy to not do that, to not give ourselves the credit, to not give ourselves this chance of acknowledgement. The acknowledgement is an empowerment. And we need empowerment because the journey is long and confusing. And so if we don't get those times where we sort of bring ourselves together and go, oh yeah, then it's much harder and we're more likely to get frustrated and give up on ourselves. And so what is it that we would acknowledge? We can acknowledge every person in this room, no exceptions. Whatever he's going to say, I know I'm the exception. I see that look on your face. that we are now intimate with our breath. More intimate than we were four or five days ago. We may be a little irritated with our breath, but that doesn't mean you're not intimate with it. The people you've been most intimate with in your life, you've had a lot of disappointment with, a lot of irritation with, a lot of frustration with, right? It's that, that your lover's not behaved and not appreciated you or whatever it is the way you've wanted. Intimacy and, and being so satisfied are two separate things. Everybody in here is old enough to know that. <laughs> and so that we can acknowledge. It's really true, just like they said at the beginning. We become intimate with our breath. And we can see with that the, the intimacy changes how we are in our efforts. We see that sometimes... Like with any intimate relationship, we get caught in trying to control what happens or to control our breath. 
and that we see that sometimes the, an intimate relationship, it's not going very well. And we have to kind of have the faith and remember why we're in that relationship to stick with it. Uh, it was asked two or three times, why didn't you tell us this sooner? And in the first place, we did. We actually told you sooner, but you didn't register it. You didn't hear it. And why not? Because you first had to feel the suffering to look for the relief. It was all conceptual till you felt the suffering. And it was feeling the suffering that brings the, the interest so that you can acquire the knowledge. This is the way we learn everything. It's certainly the way we learn to walk the Samadhi trail. And likewise, there is this, uh, this uh, hidden um, desire that really uh, needs to be brought to the forefront that we secretly do want it to be easy. Don't we? Why am I having to suffer this? Oh, now that they're saying that, oh, that relieves me. I, I don't, that's, then I wouldn't have had to suffer. But why was the suffering so bad? Why was the dukkha so bad? It didn't kill you. It didn't kill you. And you learned from it. Among other things, you learned how to bear it. And that is the first noble truth. All insight, the whole building of the four noble truths, all 12 insights of the four noble truths come from that capacity to, as uh, the Venerable Sumedho says, to stand under, to bear the dukkha. How can we possibly know insight about dukkha if we can't bear it, if we can't stay present? And so what can seem wasteful is in fact essential. Sumedho also refers to it as the good of suffering, the good of suffering. So we've learned intimacy. We've learned how we have to be intimate with all the various changes and conditions. We also intimately know the breath as a constant presence. We know this is true. Have you once not had the breath? You may not have felt it, but if you hadn't had the breath in some way, you know, we'd be saying something very nice about you as, <laughs> as your family's coming to collect the body. <laughs> so we have known it as a present, that it's got a flowing nature, that it's got a pulsating nature, that it comes strong, it's weak. We know all of this. Every single person here knows this. I am challenging you to admit that you know it. We also know the breath has a life of its own, just like every other intimate partner we've ever had. And we've known it as a friend or a lover or an, uh, someone we wish to be in that kind of intimate relationship with, but we, like many other times in our life, it hasn't quite happened yet, but we've just not been fully appreciated yet. We also know the breath is a ground. If we're lost, we can come back to the breath. And particularly if we find the breath in the body. Even if we're really lost, we can find our body. Because the breath is, we're so emotional, we can't find the breath right now. But we can feel this body, particularly the earth element. And from the earth element, feel the breath. And it's a ground. It's a ground for what? 
a ground for coming into the present moment, a ground for orientation in dealing with the difficult. And this intimate relationship with the breath is unique. Only you and 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 you know that breath of yours. No other person has ever known it and no other person can ever know it. It's a unique relationship. That's part of the intimacy of it. And what else have we known? We have known silence. No matter how loud it's been most of the time, you've known the silence of the room. You've known silence of other people. You've known the silence of the hall. You've known the silence somewhere just for a moment, even an interstitial like that moment inside you. Had you not known that silence, you would have had a psychotic break. <laughs> and we would have had to have rescued you. So you have known silence. And m many of you have also known, maybe every one of you have known stillness. Because so many of you have reported knowing stillness, being aware of the stillness. Even when you're talking about, oh, my mind's moving here and there, you make some reference to stillness. Whether or not you're aware that you're making that reference to stillness, sometimes I can't tell. Have you heard yourself say that? And I'm not sure. So we've known silence, we've known stillness, we've known the contentment of mind, at least for this many beats at a time. The contentment of mind. Please acknowledge that. Give yourself that. Instead of looking at what you didn't get thus far as you're sitting here on those rocks, looking out, look back at that trail and appreciate those moments of the silence, of the stillness, of the contentment. It changes your history when you acknowledge the richness. If you only see what's missing in your history, it makes your history meager in a way that is a lie. It's a distortion. It's a delusion. It's a lie if we don't open to the richness of our experience. And yet, because of our acquisitive nature, this tendency of greed and aversion, we so often do that to ourselves. And we are such the lesser person for it. And you have known, at moments, ease of mind. Ease of mind. That when the mind was cooperative with you, 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 you directed it towards the breath, and it went there. May have gone right away, but it went there. That was a cooperative breath. That was an ease of mind. It may have stayed a breath and a half. That was ease of mind. It was sustaining that long. It was cooperating. It was being flexible, malleable. It was being directable. You know this. You had this experience. The challenge is to know that you know it. To wake up. To wake up. Yeah, this is true. That's part of my experience walking up this far on the Samadhi Trail. And each of us has at least heard a description of the five jhanic factors. May not have meant anything to us, or may have meant a lot, or maybe we felt as though we've had some experience of it or not, but we've all at least heard it. <laughs> and that too is to be known. I have heard one more explanation if I've heard many before. If I've never heard about the jhanic factors before, I've heard it now. So there's some on the intellectual level of understanding, some additional information, some additional exposure. 
This is part of, we saw those, those are little trees we saw or plants we saw on the way up the trail. So here we are, we're still sitting on the rocks, but now we're going from acknowledging to reflecting. So we put our legs out and the sun's coming down and it's really comfortable there. And so we're, we're, we're just, you know, our, our arms are behind our head, the fingers interlaced. And we're looking at it from this perspective of what was our lived wisdom? What is our earned wisdom? Lived wisdom. What, did we, what wisdom did we gain because we just lived this experience to date? What have we gained? What have we learned? And we've earned it because we've taken all of those steps. Those, you know, we've been pulled up by brushes and bushes and, and you know, we've had, you know, we had stuff get in our hair and get dirt on us and our feet hurt, you know, and our back hurt from carrying the backpack and, you know, and the pace wasn't the pace we wanted to go at times. We've earned this. We've earned it. We're entitled to this. And one of the things we've learned is that the two most difficult things in hiking is, first of all, our own ego, particularly on the Samadhi Trail. And the other thing that's really difficult on the Samadhi Trail is the nature of our untrained mind. Because our ego creates all these expectations for us. It, it wants it to be the way it, we want it to be as an experience the way we've conceived it or imagined it or heard someone talk about it or read about it. And we think we should have certain skills or our skills should grow at a certain level or all of these different things. And of course, our ego wants to compare and judge ourselves to others, to judge ourselves to what we think we should be, our expectations. And uh, particularly for uh, uh, this particular trail, we, we want this trail to involve various places where in the trail we're walking, we have these altered states of one kind or another. Not other trails, like on the Vipassana Trail, we don't expect that so much. But on this Samadhi Trail, we want that. Just to name it. And then with the nature of mind, we see because of the untrained mind, it's very easy to lose focus, to wander off the trail, to get bored, to just stop walking for a while, to get very lost in past and present. And that these are challenges of this nature of mind and this ego in walking the trail. So those are conditions that we have to deal with in walking the trail. As we continue this reflection about what we've learned, we can also stop, and this we've not talked about, and this is the, the this I'm going to talk about next is my own particular reflection, uh, the way I would organize this. Others might organize it a different way. But I'm now that we're spread out here, just talking about things, we're, we're sort of wandering a bit here for a moment. And that is, I would suggest that we've each learned, if we would stop and look at it this way, that there's kind of five traits about a mind being collected and unified. That there's these five traits that tend to show up. At least I have found this true in my life. That my mind will be collected and unified for a certain duration. One inhale, one exhale. A number of seconds, a number of minutes, a number of hours. That there is a duration. And it's just a duration. I don't have to get all upset because it's not a longer duration or if it was a longer duration, want to have it be that duration all the time. No, there's going to be some amount of duration to have an eclectic and unified mind. So get over it, you know. <laughs> Likewise, 
when we have a collected and unified mind with the breath, there's a steadiness. Some degree of steadiness. It may be very steady on the breath for some duration. Or each moment, it's very wavering. It's not very steady at all. We're on the breath, but boy, it's like wobbly. It's wobbly. It's going to be some degree of steadiness. Whether it's, whether it's wobbly or totally steady, it's just what it is. Why judge? Yes, we want to notice, we want to discern what's true because we're cultivating. But there's no reason to make a big story about it. It's going to vary. It's a Nietzsche. Everything changes. So, so there's, there's, this, there's the steadiness, the duration, and there's a depth. Sometimes when we're collected and unified, boy, we were, I mean, things could come up in the room, that door opened and closed loudly, didn't bother us at all. Other times it startled us, or it didn't startle us, but we got irritated about it. There was not a sufficient depth to be protected from the sound of the door. We're all going to have a certain amount of depth in every moment of collected and unified mind. It's normal. So it's just a trait. It's not anything to be demanding about. We're cultivating depth. But any given moment, it's just like this. No big deal. And there is an intensity or an immersion in the experience. This is the hardest one to understand. Where we are we're like we're with the breath. And so we're, we could have any degree of depth or steadiness or duration of it. But we're not, we're only, we're sort of immersed. There's still a lot of background stuff. The breath is in the foreground and there we are with it. And we're really with it down, but where there's a lot coming in or there's nothing. We're totally immersed. There's nothing but the breath. That too. That can get very exciting when there's nothing but the breath. And then we want that all the time. But it's just a degree of immersion, a degree of intensity. That's all. Nothing to make a story about. And likewise, we can be very narrow in our one-pointedness. And so it's, it's very narrow just on the breath. And maybe it's too narrow and that's too hard for us. Or no, it was broader and that was better. Or maybe broad wasn't so good and we needed to be more narrow. There's some degree of, of narrowness, including the one-pointedness that includes everything. So there's a scope to the breath. It's just, it's just conditions. It's not more than that. And so these traits will come and go and we can learn to recognize them. Oh, well, you know, I want to cultivate more duration to my steadiness. I want to cultivate more duration to my time. I want to see if I can stay with the breath. With through, uh, I've, I've, Thus far, I've never really felt as though I've been there more than uh, three full breaths or five minutes or ten minutes. So I want to see if I can have more duration. Or I want to be steady because my mind goes so much. So I'm going to imagine that my mind is like a puppy dog on a leash. And I'm just going to hold on to that leash and create more steadiness. Or I, I, I'm going to really cultivate just dropping in, dropping in. You know, may I drop in more deeply to this breath. We can cultivate these just as traits. And as we're reflecting in this way, we can also reflect on the um, immense number of details and, uh, that we have had firsthand about this experience. That we, have, that we have a certain experience that's allowed us to have some confidence now. We know how to walk the trail. 
we may not be the greatest hiker of all time on the Samadhi Trail, but we are enough days in that we know we can walk the Samadhi Trail. That's sadhana. That's faith. That's confidence. We know we can do this because we've done it. It's a kind of verified faith. And likewise, we know now that we need to use all these skills. Whatever degree we've got of them, we need to utilize them and cultivate their getting better because it turns out you need a lot of skills on walking this particular trail. It's just the way it is. And we, we know that, uh, that uh, we are missing most of the journey if we don't enjoy it along the way and how easy it is to do that. You know, so easy to do that. So easy to miss the journey. I, um, I once sat a, a, a month-long retreat with this monk, this particular monk, and um, he questioned me when I first arrived about my experiences. And uh, for various reasons, uh, something I had experienced really caught his attention. And he said, if that were me, I would do nothing this whole month but move to recreate that experience. And I said, you know, I don't practice that way at all. I just, I have this very relaxed attention, you know, and I did everything that we're telling you, this is how I practice. And so I t- tried to tell him, all, I, I did tell him all that, no trying to do it, I told him all that. He was sort of patiently listening to that. He says, well, yes, but da-da-da. And I said, if I do that, I get into striving. I'm not very good at that, at that, I'm, that all that willfulness. I get into striving, and then I show up in my own way, so I keep running into me. He said, all I can say is if it was me. And by this point, I mean, three times he had asserted. And I got to thinking, what if he's right? What if I'm clinging to my way of practice? How do I know I know what I'm talking about? Why do I think I know more than him? I'm going, but it is my experience. But, but how do I know? <laughs> so I said, okay. Okay, I'll do it. And I said, so tell me about that. And he told me this. One month however many days, 30 days or 31 days, whatever it was, how many, uh, 24 hours that was, how many 60 minutes, how many 60 seconds, could have taken it all and thrown it into the fireplace all at once. Not one moment of stillness, not one moment of relaxation, not one moment of insight. Hell realm, the whole time. (laughs) Whole time. And judging myself because, see, you can't do this in the striving form hell realm. And I'd had a lot of experience. But I embraced an attitude that wasn't mine. What I learned from that was the importance of practicing the way I can practice. I don't say you should practice the way I practice. None of us are saying you should practice the way any of us practice. We've each offered pieces of our practice for you. But it is incumbent as you're sitting here on the rocks to go, yeah, you know, It's my hike. I want to hike the way I can hike, but I want to learn skills from everybody so that I can do better with it. And that is part of where the enjoyment comes from, is claiming it as our own hike. And not something we're doing conceptually, but as an actual experience. I'll say that again. It's not something we're doing conceptually. This is not conceptual, but there's been many minutes sitting here day after day, where you've been doing a concept and not the actual experience. I would bet not a person in the room 
is an exception to that. It's so easy for us to be doing our theory, our story, our picture, our movie version, and not showing up for the breath is like this. If you don't think that applies to you, you may well be right and I may be wrong. But I would suggest you look at that a couple more times before <laughs> sitting back being very pleased with yourself. So now we've come to a different point. We've been sitting there for a while. We're rested. We've looked down. We've, we've reflected. We've acknowledged. And now we pull out our map. We say, okay, now how do we go from here? So we're all looking at the map together. Among other problems, it turns out when we pull out our maps, we've got different maps because this person created a map this way and there's the other map here. And they've got the same names, but there's all these descriptions about how you cross here at the creek or you don't cross at the creek, you go up to, to the, where the trees end and then you turn. And there's all of these different maps. And what do we do with that? But nonetheless, we look at the maps because we've got to make our way as best we can. And we see, lo and behold, we're at a juncture. When we came out of the woods, we were at a juncture. You know how trails split, right? So we, we're at a place where the trail splits. If we go to the right, we go into Vipassana, the Vipassana trail. If we go to the left, we continue the Samadhi trail. We discover that, oh, we've been walking the collecting and unifying the mind trail. And that to do either Vipassana trail or Samadhi trail, we first have to walk the collecting and unifying trail. And that we're at neighborhood juncture or uh, access point. These are words that are in the classic teachings that, that, that neighborhood concentration or access concentration. So we've reached access point or neighborhood juncture. Oh, now we have a choice. And that, this is a very important point to know because it's, this is a large area right in here in the map and it gets a little confusing about what comes next as we choose to walk the Samadhi Trail because we all choose to keep walking for now the Samadhi Trail. So here we are and we're now going on on the Samadhi Trail and uh, we are working with the stillness, the continuity, the intention, everything we've learned along the way. But now we've got more confidence and we've got more ease and we remember to have a good time as we're going, as best we can. And we are knowing that at this point, we are working with the five jhana factors to keep us oriented. It's our compass, it's our stars we're guiding, it's the way we're keeping on the trail, these five jhana factors, along with all these skill sets that we've developed, the relaxed atten attention, the, in the directed attention, all of that. We, all of that's the core things. But now we're emphasizing, we've added these five jhana factors. And this is what the map is showing us, uh, that, we will, uh, that we need to use this. And uh, in fact, we see... On the map, because we're only looking at the map tonight, we're not saying we're going to complete the journey, but we have reached a point where we can see the journey. We can see the Samadhi Trail. We have gained enough perspective so we can see the Samadhi Trail. And we see that on our map, that at, that at various points on the Samadhi Trail, we temporarily join other trails. You know how it is? Like you're walking bootjack and then you hit Troop 80 and they're both together for a while and then they split off again. It's that way. And the first trail that we're going to join, according to our map, 
and all maps agree with this, is what would be called First Jhana, the First John, the tra- First Jhana Trail, and that uh, this trail, this trail that we know we're on this trail when these five jhanic factors are present, when there is this capability of the mind to uh, direct, to direct, to aim, the capability of the mind to sustain. And in, there's a rising in the mind as mental states some degree of rapt attention that's called rapture, or other words, and some degree of sukha, and some degree of, of uh, and a kind of one-pointed equanimity. So how would we, according to our map, how would we know we've gotten to this point where the trails are now combined. How would we know we've reached there? There's a feeling of the mind being sheltered. The mind feels sheltered. It is a felt sense. It's a felt sense. Now this again, this is mindfulness. Mindfulness notices how the mind is and our wise attention is able to understand, oh, this is the mind feeling sheltered. Actually, you can miss it because sometimes... It's so light, the mind being sheltered, that if and it's it doesn't it's it's just come about brief and then it's away. We miss that we've come through that even for a moment, and we can uh, you know wander back down the trail we were on. So applied thought is still going on. There is a doing. There's a doing this applied and sustained thought. And now the descriptions I'm using really vary on the map, so you just have to bear with me here. I'm communicating something in as a simple way as I know have. But th- there's, people can say it other ways that I wouldn't disagree with, but they don't, that, the way they might say it would not communicate all that much to you. So there's applied thought. You're, there's some amount of doing. You are staying connected to the breath. There's, it's, it, it is, uh, it's not that much at this point, but there's some amount of it. And if you don't, you kind of wander away from this, this first jhana. So then you've got to apply all over again. You have to renew that applying. Eventually it becomes more automatic. And some would argue there's no, that, that the, there's no doing. There just is this uh, aiming at the breath and sustaining the contact with the breath. That there's no doing involved at all. People debate those kinds of things. Totally unimportant to our experience here looking at the map just knowing that those are present. And then there's these other, these other three factors are present too. So there's a kind of calm in this first jhana. At least this is my experience. There is a relaxed feeling, a pleasant feeling. I call it a sense of arriving. Not arriving home, but arriving. And that arriving is that the mind has a kind of a shelter. There is a sense restraint. So the senses don't, don't pull the mind off. The mind stays. There's not, the senses are restrained. Right? You know what I mean by that. You're not pulled in seeing, hearing, tasting. No senses. Mental activity, you're not, they're restrained. They've just automatically they've just kind of dropped away from their wanting to go out somewhere. They've, they've, they've arrived here with the breath. And there is, a, there, is a, there is a sense of when hindrances do arise, like wanting mind or something, or restless mind or aversion because of the door slam, you may feel that, that 
little shake, but it's outside. It's outside. It's on the periphery. It's not in the center place. That is this first jhana feeling. And it's, uh, it, again, it can, it can have a various duration. It can be, it need to be renewed and so forth. On the map, this first, on some maps, the, the, the first jhana trail and the access concentration trail or the neighborhood concentration trail overlap a bit or they're very close to each other. They're like this. Or in other maps, they're way far apart. So sometimes uh, the, going down the jhana trail and going down the samadhi trail from the beginning are seen way far apart and others very close together. There's always that juncture no matter what. But sometimes there's just different descriptions that you'll hear different teachers say. Don't try to figure that out, but just know that you'll hear confusing statements about that. And the, um, uh, the real difference there in my language is about the amount of depth and intensity of the concentration. There's lots of variation. Some people, uh, some people have almost a mental idea of these jhanas so that it's mostly a mental activity and less of body immersion. And others, uh, others feel it a deep immersion where there's no thought. There's no particular thought at all. There's just this little occasional thought to, to recognize and then you're just deep in, widely variant. But that sense of being sheltered is universally agreed upon. And as far as I know. And so as we keep walking this trail, uh, uh, we, we, just, we just keep going, and then we come to the second jhana. And in the second jhana, so now on this trail, we notice that we're no longer, there's like certain kinds of bushes or something. There's no longer a certain kind of foliage there if this were a trail. Now there's no effort. There's no directed thought. There's no applied thought there. There's no need at all for this connecting and sustaining. It has become complete in itself. So the mind's not efforting in that way. It's just not efforting. It's just there's, there's, there's still this uh, rapt attention, this rapture feeling that can come, which I'll name in a moment. There is still this sukha, this feeling of sweetness that's there, that's behind. It's much, much less accessible than the, than the rapture. And there is this, still this equanimity, this one-pointedness, uh, ekagata. Uh, th- those three are all that's left. Little variations on this. On some maps, uh, uh, the, 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 uh, uh, the applied, the, the directed can drop off, but you still have to sustain. It depends on your own individual experiences. These things, I don't think there is a one universal way that it happens to everybody, personally. So, um, and I mention all this because, again, you have different experiences. I'm not trying to have you explain it all, but to have you be comfortable with, with different experiences. And at this point... The, with the Vitaka and Vachara dropped away, the, the, the primary experience is one of rapture. And that is a mind state, but it has a body component, or at least it feels, it's experienced as having a body component. This gets into a lot of arguments too, but not trying to do that, just to notice. There's these, in, in our classic teachings, uh, the Vasudhimaga and other places, there's five... Um, there's five kinds of rapture that are talked about. One is called slight rapture. And this is, they'll say the hair can stand on end or there can be tears. There's these tears flowing. 
Um, and I would say that there can be a degree of tingling, just not the most intense tingling that comes later on, but there can be a degree of tingling in this point. And there's a kind of uh, euphoria that can happen. And even with the slight, there's just this kind of little bit of elevated mood that's part of this, that at least in, in my experience with myself and others. Not everybody's the same. As I say, years can be totally different. And so that's the number of one type, this slight rapture. And then the second is this momentary rapture where it's stronger and it, it comes like a, a sudden, a, like a bolt of lightning. And this, by the way, is when, when we have efforted too hard. This is where it can be very uncomfortable for us, this rapture. We've, we've talked about that a couple of times where we've efforted ourselves into this, these jhana states and when it's, this momentary rapture can come, but boy, it can slam us around. Rapture is not necessarily pleasant. Rapture is intense. And even pleasant rapture, when it goes on and on, can no longer be pleasant. Because too much of this, our nerves can't stand it anymore. We want a relief from it. It's, we're overly stimulated. So be careful what you wish for about rapture. So momentary, it comes sudden and it's... And, and it's quite strong, but it's, it comes and goes. And then spasmodic rapture, this third kind of rapture, it's like the body is flooded with it periodically. You get these floods, these, these strong floods or waves of rapture. They come and they go. And again, they can be varying degrees of strength. And then this transporting rapture, the fourth kind of rapture, this is, this is another whole kind of, step up. It's not like one more notch. It's like another step up in my experience. And you can literally feel as though you're levitating. I remember once putting my hand on the ground just to assure me. I was going, I can't. I don't believe in levitation, but I had to put my hand on the ground. In the text, it says you can levitate. So take that as you will. The body becomes very light or ironically, at least in my experience, it can also become very heavy and all sorts of, there, the whole wide range of experience happenings in this transporting. It is, it is as though the body has become something different than you've ever known. At least that's, again, my experience of this. And then this all-pervading is the fifth kind of rapture where the whole body is involved. In the, uh, one text that it says it's like a mountain cavern being suddenly filled with water. And uh, uh, a lot of body changes in this. Uh, uh, one time for me, it was like this wave of honey going up and down. The sweetest thing, the most delicious thing. It was like just, it was such exquisite pleasure. It was so subtle, and yet it was so intense. Subtle and intense. Like how can those be so strong together? And uh, uh, it, 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 was, it was like orgasm, only more intense than orgasm because of its subtlety of this. And after a certain number of hours, I would have paid money for it to go away. (laughs) Because it is, after a while, the nervous system can't handle these things. And it's not always that you can say, okay, finished with that and move on. There isn't a degree of independence in in, in these jhanas. So, and it's not so easy to interrupt them when we get way, this immersion, the intensity of being in these that I described. So just to understand, to be very respectful of this, they always end. You're never going to stay stuck. 
let loose of that, any mind state, these are all mental states, they all come and go. And so that's the, that's the this, this second jhana. There's a kind of, um, I'm going to use the word delight because I don't like to use the word joy with this. Um, that feeling, those intense feelings of rapture and that delight are sort of separate. And I, those of you who have more experience, I just mentioned that to you. You can sort of notice that's the, that the rapture and the delight of the rapture, this delight, are not quite the same thing. It's like you can feel the existence of, of that rapture but not be in it. And you can just, those of you who are more experienced, this is only for a few of you, but you can just notice that. And then as we continue on down the path, we come now to the third jhana trail. It's moved in. We're still on the samadhi trail the whole time. These have just joined in and split off again. There's some of us back there still in the rapture. But the rest of us have walked on. And we're now here on the, we've, we've now overlapping with the sukha trail. And I have to say that I much prefer the sukha trail to the rapture trail. I like the sukha trail a lot. And it's not heavy. The, the, the rapture has a heaviness. It's, it's got that intensity, and that intensity weighs a lot, at least to uh, most people's reporting, I would say. And so there's a lightness, there's sweetness, there's a calm versus that roaring. The, the, the rapture's got this, like you're in the stream, is roaring stream. And the, now you're in like this, this quiet flowing stream where you hear it over the rocks, but it's musical sounding. It's not the roar. It's not a waterfall. It's just this soothe sounding thing. Very nice. And it's more steady. It doesn't have those, because uh, uh, you can move between those five kinds of rapture. And by the way, rapture is reported in lots of other traditions and I just didn't have time to go into that tonight so the rapture does not belong to one tradition and as I talked about in the poem you can have the rapture come um, uh, anywhere and whether or not Yeats was reporting more than just rapture would be a longer discussion and so uh, this 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 is very serene and it's easy at this point to think well if this isn't enlightenment it's good enough I just want to camp here. I don't want to go on any further in the Samadhi Trail. I like it right here. But being dedicated hikers, we walk on the Samadhi Trail and we come to the overlap with the Ekagata Trail. And here, even that sweetness goes away. It's not sweet anymore. This is um, mysterious. Because even though it's not even got sweetness, there's some satisfaction that is so deep, intense, mysterious. There's, uh, it's like now we're out in this meadow, in this beautiful meadow, and there's, it's empty. It's empty and it's total serene. There's nothing going on. There's nothing to see. There's nothing stimulating at all. There's nothing even stimulating in a pleasing way like here in that brook anymore. Everything's quiet. Just serene. There's nothing going on. And you'd go, well, I want more stimulation. But you don't feel that. You don't want that. It's like we have, in my experience, these are my words, it's like now this is arriving home. We've been arriving. Now we're home. Like, 
Boy, this is the true state of the mind. This is the mind that's truly serene, that's truly peaceful. I find it so satisfying. And it, there is this one-pointedness. But the one-pointedness doesn't have any like grabbing or efforting. It's just one-pointed. It's natural. Everything feels so natural about this. And so we've gone through these five trails. Now, you start to feel the map, huh? Do you feel that some way, that this, that how this would work? And you, you see the, 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 the walking the trail, the practice is all about walking the trail, not about arriving at the destination. Some of you in your uh, interviews, there's too much looking for, uh, looking for something before you've gotten to that point on the trail. And not enough staying here, because as you stay here, this will move you further on the trail. So just to balance our practice that way, not demanding, not thinking we've got to go find something, but as we quiet down, because we're all at the juncture, now we're past it, we're on the trail, we've, we've gone this way, whatever's going to arrive in this particular walk will arrive. And what doesn't arrive, doesn't arrive. So we walk it again and again and again. There's certain great vista points on the Samadhi Trail. Can you believe that this analogy has worked this well? At least I hope it's worked this well. <laughs> if it didn't work for you, you don't need to write me a note to tell me. <laughs> Leave me in delusion. One vista point of these four vista points, which are called the, the formless or immaterial jhanas, they're called various kinds of things, uh, the many different names for them, um, and I don't have a single name. Uh, one is where we look out and what we look out into, what we realize as a felt experience, but it's very mental. These other, these first four, I would claim as body. Not everybody would agree with that, but I would claim the first four include the body. These four do not, in, in my experience, and pretty much I think the teachings in general do not, it would not be called body. The first vista is we're looking into endless space. And we did that from the fourth jhana. And it's endless space. It's just endless. 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 We look out there for a while and then we notice, oh, there's another vista. And this vista is even larger than endless space. And that's endless consciousness. And as vast as endless space was, endless consciousness is beyond. And it doesn't seem contradictory or there's no thinking about this. You don't have any kind of, you're not chattering to yourself. There's not a view and opinion. There's just this knowing of endless consciousness. A more refined vista. A more subtle vista. And then we discover there's yet another vista. And this is called uh, uh, nothingness or emptiness. Where there's not consciousness, there's not this space, there's just this nothingness or emptiness. I, would, I, I call it nothingness because of, um, I'm just more comfortable with that word. A lot of other people use other words. But there is, it's, it's, there's, it's, not, it's a nothingness can't describe that by definition, right? And then we look still further and we arrive at something that can't even begun 
to be known, and yet it is, which is neither perception nor non-perception. And that vista is the most subtle of vistas, often again confused with enlightenment. Oh, I've experienced this, I must be enlightened. Sometimes even with the, uh, that nothingness, people will think, oh, that's enlightenment. Or even the, the, the vastness of consciousness, people go, oh, now I'm a stream, a, a, a stream enterer, I'm a stream winner because I've felt this. So it, these things can be very uh, beguiling and confuse us. Will we all experience this in a lifetime? Probably not. But there's a lot of other things we're not going to experience too. It's just the way it is. We're going to have things that happen to us and things that don't happen to us. And it's all okay. Likewise, while we're taking this hike on the Samadhi Trail, we're going to have all sorts of weather conditions. It's going to rain. It's going to snow on us. We're going to step in scat. <laughs> we may get poison oak or poison ivy. But I ask you to acknowledge, is it not so that if you're out hiking and you get wet, you may be soaked and it may be unpleasant and you feel miserable, but you don't once think you're that rain, do you? So you step in the scat, you know, now it's on the bottom of your boot. You're not happy about that. But you're not confused thinking, oh, I'm the scat. So why is it when you get grumpy that you think you're the grumpy? Why is it when it's not going well that you think you're the, this person who is a failure? It's just rain. It's just scat. It's just snow. It's just poison oak, that restlessness. It's not something other than that. This is the deluded mind. This is the nature of the ego to take certain experiences and not others and identify with them. It's all rain. It's all rain. It's all scat. It's all poison oak as we walk along this trail. Knowing that allows us to walk so much more easily and to bring this knowledge back to walking our daily life. Which is, we walk trail, goal trails, G-O-A-L, goal trails in our daily life. Being a good mom, good dad, earning a living, you know, our home, our significant other, whatever our goals are. But the, the same, we run into the same weather conditions, the same poison oak, the same, we have different kinds of scat, <laughs> but we run into the scat in daily life, and yet we, 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 we identify with it there. If we learn not to identify here, we will learn that. This is yet another advantage of this total dedication to walking the Samadhi Trail. So let's close our eyes for a moment. Sit up straight for a moment, if you will. In this very moment, we reside in the body. 
awareness resting in the body. In this very moment, we feel the breath. Direct attention to the breath. In this very moment, Vataka is present. Know for yourself that you are aiming attention at the breath. Feel the energy, the effort of directing attention. Just how it feels this moment. And you are touching breath, receiving it as an experience, letting the breath come to you by sustaining your attention on the breath coming to you. The breath is being known. Effortless. The Pataka Vachara bringing the breath to us. In this breath, the faintest feeling of a kind of rapt attention, a presence, a little delicious kind of thrill, a little thread of thrill, a little elevation, slight tingling, or just a little intensity that you can't even name, but you feel the intensity just in the breath, maybe at the nostrils, Feels there's a little hit of intensity or in the whole body or at the belly or in the heart or even the perineum at the bottom of the torso. There's just this little intensity. Being quiet and open you notice that there's also interwoven in this experience a kind of sweetness, a calm feeling, a kind of well-being that's not so intense but is so joyous, so satisfying. This sukha feeling, not roaring, but flowing, sukha, steady flowing. It's there in the whole flow of the breath. I'd never noticed this quite this way before, maybe. But yeah, there it is. Maybe it's in the quietness. The sweetness of the quiet. or the sweetness of the stillness. Or how the mind is just so steady that it's sweet, it's calm. As you stay with this sweetness, this calm, 
you notice that there's a kind of equanimity, a kind of centeredness, a balance, a stability. It's just here with the breath. You only momentarily touch it, but it's there. This one-pointedness. The mind is touching the breath. And that's all it's doing for that brief, 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 brief moment. As a foretaste, the mind feels sheltered. There's a quiet arriving in this moment. The mind ceases to comment, ceases to want something. There's a total surrender to just this moment. There's a wholeness a well-being. You've arrived. All the wanting and the aversion are outside. The senses are quiet. They're restrained. They're not going anywhere. There's a physical palpability to this well-being. to do something to it, stop. Just stay here now. Thank you for your kind attention. Time for walking. Uh, we would ask that you walk. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.